Yes, he says. <laughs> you do that, and then I'll do that, and then I'll give you this. Does that work? All right. Father, we pray that the computer works in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray that not only would, would the words be inspired, Lord God, but they would be life-changing. Father, we thank you for what you've spoken to Dion. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done within him and what you're going to do through him. We thank you for what you've placed on his heart. And we pray, Lord, that as he speaks, it would be you championing him all the way through. And Father, as a family, Lord, we're going to champion right beside him in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's see how we go, young man. Oh, you're up. Goodbye. I'm trying to get my presenter. <laughs> Great. You can't see my notes. <laughs> Just get that as well. So Andrew invited Michelle and I to speak. Unfortunately, uh, Michelle can't be here today. It's a little bit sad, so it means it's going to be a little bit of more my side rather than Michelle's this morning. And the reason that that is, if anyone uh, noticed on the av- uh, a week ago, uh, Andrew put up that we were speaking today on Facebook, and Dave Bailey, I can't see him today, but he put a comment up asking if we were pregnant, <laughs> and the, uh, the answer is yes. So Michelle's been extremely exhausted with me being away for around 13 hours a day. We walk. She's been going to bed around 8 or 9 p.m. and she's just still been stuffed. So um, she just hasn't had the, uh, the mind space, the head space to prepare. Um, so today mainly I'm going to be sh- uh, sharing stories, uh, a lot of the content from the school. Uh, and I'll bring you a, t- a little bit of a teaching at the end. Something, though, we heard a lot in school is this stuff can't be taught, it has to be caught. And it doesn't matter how much you know it, you have, to, you have to hear it in here, you have to receive it in here, you have to come to a place where you believe it, and only then can you truly live out of it. So today, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would blow on everyone here today, on all their hearts, Lord, that they would receive in their hearts the words that you want to speak, that they would hear loud and clear and it may produce life in their life. Also, if, while I'm talking, if God is uh, stirring for you to do something radical, whether it's like Scott and Jen to uh, become missionaries or to go to a school like Michelle and I did, we prepared for over a year before we were making connections with School of Supernatural Life in Nashville, then I just want to encourage you if, you, if you feel that tug, say yes to God in your heart. And you watch how we had about a thousand obstacles in the way of us getting to America with our family, with my work. Just watch how he just just blows them all away. So before I start, I want to, in the spirit of generosity, hand out a book. I had this thought before Mal got up and did it last week. I was only going to give one of these books away though, but she gave away three. So she did challenge me there and I had three. I had three on the shelf. And so I just... (laughs) I decided I would match her. (laughs) And this book is called The Veil. It's a book I I came across about two years ago. It's a 
It's a story of a guy named Blake Healy, and ever since he was born, from about two or three, he can remember seeing in the Spirit, and he can see in the Spirit whenever he wants. It's a really profound gift. It's really cool. But he, uh, he was, uh, for many years, scared of his gift. He came towards it, and then people asked him all the questions. What do you see? What do you see? Tell me, tell me, tell me. So, and then that scared him off for a while. And I thought, what better way to... Um, to advertise it than just read a little bit of a story in it. And this is related to school because he went through Bethel. And I'm going to pick it up um, where he's about to head on his, uh, his mission trip. It was missions time when all, all the soon-to-be graduates, Bethel students, got the opportunity to go all across the globe, healing the sick, raising the dead, and generally doing Bethel student, what Bethel students do. Since I had no money, I went on the least expensive trip to Mexico. Most students don't have money, so the Mexican trip is really full. This resulted in a large caravan cruising down the Interstate 5 from Reading to Mexico. Since said caravan was made up of Bethel students, we spent the majority of the time on the drive relaying prophetic words between cars over handheld radios. Near the end of our journey, a familiar voice came through the the static, Blake, this one's for you, said Michelle. God says it's time to come out of the cave. Then the radio clicked off. It was a simple word, but it hit like a cannonball to, to the chest. It's simultaneously knocked down the remnants of my old defences and gave me the courage to share the things that I saw. Most uncharacteristically, I started right away. I'll just skip down a bit. So they're in a service on the mission trip. The service had already been going well by the time I approached the stage. Several had been healed of everything from a back pain to chronic ulcers and the crowd was excited for, for more. I was handed the microphone and in the stop and go way you speak through translators shared what I'd seen. The town was situated in a sloping valley as I walked through the marsh, the mishmash of particle board buildings, the lined, the trash drawn streets, I saw the blood of Jesus flowing down the valley. This may sound like a scene from a horror movie, but the blood was simultaneously shimmering gold and crisp clear like water from the Caribbean. I saw two large angels near the church entrance, each at least 20 feet tall, wearing ornate robes and carrying intricately detailed weapons. When I looked at the, the ceiling of the sanctuary, I saw that the building in the spirit had no roof. Nothing was separating them from what God was pouring out on them. As I described this, the translator began to weep along with the entire congregation. This surprised me, sure. The things that I saw were pretty cool, but this sort of thing was around every church. It varied from place to place, of course, but there was always something neat. The translator, who I later discovered was the pastor, composed himself. You don't understand. You don't understand. This man was sent by by God, he said, pointing and shaking hand in my direction. Naturally, this made me feel quite awkward. I suppose that it was technically true, but everyone is sent by God, if you think about it. Everything you said, he continued, 
starting direction, staring directly into my eyes, which did not help put me at ease. Every word for word is exactly what we've been praying for. He then turned to address the crowd, though he kept speaking in English. We pray that the blood of Jesus would flow through this valley. We ask God to send powerful angels to guard our doors. We pray that our church would be fully open to heaven. So I'm just going to stop it there. So I want to hand out three, three copies, but I want to hand it out. There's a catch. I want to hand it out to people who are relatively new to the supernatural, that are really passionate, that it's something within the last two to three years maybe, and it's relatively new. So does anyone fit that description that would like it? I've got one taker. <laughs> anyone else fit that description? Otherwise, I'll have to go to just anybody who wants it. <laughs> Anybody else? Karen, Evelyn. <laughs> I think you guys have got a copy. <laughs> I'll give it to Karen. <laughs> you can share them around. That was the idea of why I purchased them in the first place. Because they just touched my life. It's like passion fuel to me. Because I just love the spiritual realm. So... It's a bit unfortunate, again, like I said before, that Michelle uh, uh, couldn't be here today. She said she really wanted to be this morning. Yeah, she really wants to to teach. Uh, She um, was honoured at uh, School of Supernatural Life, which is really significant for her ability to teach. There's a great depth to her uh, and her capacity to prophesy. It's really significant because... It's a community full of people that are great teachers and great prophetically gifted. And so they were amazed at her capacity. We, uh, we went for a walk one day around our apartments and I was just playing a game with the kids. I'd say a number between 1 and 13 uh, to run ahead uh, on, on the squares you know, of the concrete. So I'd say something like, you know, 5 and then I'd run ahead 5, wait for us to catch up. It was really fun. And uh, she started... Um, prophesying what number I was going to speak. And I tell you, she got it right about six times in a row. (laughs) It was incredible. I kid you not. So, entering America, one of the first uh, miracles that happened was uh, we were coming into immigration and... Thank God for America. They love families. They pulled us out of this massive long line. It took us a couple of hours anyway, but if, we, if, we, if I was by myself, it would probably take like two, three times as long. And so they pulled us out because we're family. They're just, they're just so kind of families. They love them. And the uh, young African-American dude, he's um, you know, asked me why, why we're coming to America. I said, we're going to do a school in Nashville. And he asked me how long we're going to stay. And I said, oh, it's eight months. And he tells me, you can't stay here on this visa for eight months. It's, it's only six months. You're going to have to leave the country. And we're like, oh, no. And so he decides to, uh, to call his supervisor over. He calls his supervisor over and says, these guys were told that they're allowed to be here for eight months, but they're not allowed to be on this visa. And so the supervisor is asking me a couple of questions. What are you doing? I said, we're attending School of Supernatural Life in Nashville. 
And he asked me how long it goes for. I said, it's two days a week. He asked me if I've got plane tickets booked out of the country. I said, yes. So he um, says to the other uh, African-American guy on the computer, he goes, whispering to him, but I can hear him pretty clearly, he goes, check his criminal history. (laughs) (laughs) So he's typing up on the computer and he says back to his supervisor, really surprised, it's clean. (laughs) (laughs) And so the guy says to me, uh, all right, I'm going to give you three days after your plane tickets are booked to leave the country, and if you don't, you can never come back to America again. I think it's really significant because I think our time in America is probably not finished, and we will visit there again one day. But then he leaves, and the, the guy who's serving us, he says to me, this never happens. He goes, never, only in an emergency can you stay past the six months. He says, it has to be like a heart attack or something. Never for education, no, never. It's your lucky day. So that was really cool. <laughs> Yeah. Then we, uh, we got to school and on orientation day uh, I met a guy called Teofil, he, he was a pastor and uh, has come to do the school and he helped me uh, find a car, he found one on Craigslist and he arranged for me to meet up at 5pm that day, it was about three or four hours till then and so in the meantime though I had this um, Travelex uh, passport cards, never get one of them, just recommend that but anyway, so um, they're not very good but you can only get up to about $250-$300 out at a time depending on the ATM or the place and then those ATMs obviously charge you fees, they say it's a fee-less card but it's not totally, it's not 100% true and Anyway, and then there's a limit that you can only get out within a day. And so he took me around from bank to bank to bank and I'm getting all this cash out. And then it capped out and I didn't know what the limit was going to be and I was left with $1,900 in my hand. And that was the price of the car. So <laughs> we, ended up, we bought that car. It didn't have a... Um, it was missing one seatbelt, which we nearly didn't buy it because of that because uh, my sister was with us, thank God, uh, for the first two weeks she came and helped out with the travel and getting set up, which was wonderful. And so I, um, I, uh, I, I took this, it was a big deal for me because I'm not very good with cars. I took the car to the wreckers and I, I um, had no tools so I went in faith and I met this Spanish guy there and he helped me take a seatbelt off one of the cars uh, with his tools. No, he didn't help me, he lent me his tools and I did it. And then I went to the checkout and they just um, said, just go. So they gave it to me for free, which was really cool. And then uh, the, the guy had to go, and, but he let me um, first put it on. I had to do it really quickly because he really had to go. And so that was, amazing for, that was amazing for me just because like, I, just, I just stepped towards, said yes to God, and I was like, I freak out with cars. I just learned, the, the best I know now is I know how to change the oil. I learned that uh, a couple of years ago. And then Danielle uh, Halson, she came here in, in March at the overflow. She... She led the team. She works in administration at the school. She helped get us set up. She took us to Walmart and we spent about $300 and we bought airbeds and towels and pots and pans. So that was really good, really cheap. She's a really thrifty buyer and she knows the store. It would have taken us like 10 times longer because they're so big. Uh, and then we, she took us to a thrift shop and we found a, ca- a couch marked down from $70 to 10 So that was awesome. So we love Grace Centre. They really feel like family to us. It's like visiting your cousins. Grace Centre has been around for 15 years and they're sort of like a church plant. They come, a handful of people felt moved to, to start a work 
uh, on the other side of town. From, they originally come from a church called Belmont Church in Nashville, which is one of the major uh, Pentecostal churches. And now they're around a thousand strong. So they started off with about five to ten people, and now they're a thousand. So they've grown quite rap- rapidly, and they're, they're quite established. The things that put Grace Center on the map were their worship. They're known for the, all around America for their worship and how they steward the presence of God. People walk in there and they go, can you feel God in the place? It's really common uh, for their inner healing ministry. They've, tr- they've traveled far and wide and, and learned how to, he- to heal people on the inside. They, one guy even went to, to Bethel and, um, and stayed there a while and brought back all that, all that he learned. And also they're giving, while we were there, they gave uh, 320000 to an organization that rescues girls from uh, sex slavery. Um, so they're, it's just phenomenal. It's not the first time they've given uh, that uh, over $100,000 away as a, as a community. They have a prophetic ministry every Sunday and Monday evenings, although they encourage you to hear from God for yourself and only come once every three months. They have the young adults on Monday nights. They have inner healing on Tuesday nights just for personal ministry. And on Wednesday nights they have classes and uh, worship and creative worship on at the same time. And this, this, this is one of the things that really touched Michelle, their desire to equip and to train. It doesn't matter who you are. You can come along to their classes, you can learn, they'll train you up and you can go join, be a part of the prophetic ministry or their, they call the inner healing ministry, Revive, the Revive Ministries. But the worship team is very hard to get onto, they have auditions and you could imagine in a city full of musicians there's a fair, fair bit of competition to get onto. I, I met a guy who was, um, been trying for years to get onto the worship team and, and wasn't able to. So... Michelle was very touched by how prophetic the community is. It's just so normal for the community. She was also touched by the, the closeness of the community, how, just how loving everybody feels, and the inner healing. What, what really struck me about the community is they actually consider themselves a regional church, not a city church, because they have a large percentage of people coming from an hour to two hours away. To church, so and they've made a in, in huge intentional effort to have social events uh, at the ch- the uh, the facility, so that people can get to know each other. School of Supernatural Life. I sp- I spent half the time. I'll just say first, if you know me, I can be quite spiritual, or I can be quite serious and grounded. So I spent about half the time. Uh, between being tipsy and drunk in the spirit <laughs> during the teachings and the other half just, uh, n- just being normal. <laughs> so today I'm going to teach about the Father Heart. I'm going to c- come and teach on that at the end. We're going to talk a little bit about healing life hurts, dream interpretation, healing the sick and life languages. Life Languages was um, really wonderful for Michelle and me to learn about. It's a profile that uh, is very accurate. It's based on scripture. There's seven different types of uh, life languages. 
and it's very accurate and it doesn't put you in a box. It, it rates how you function in all of those areas and you can be really, really high on, on lots of things or you could be really, really low and anywhere in between. It, um, it doesn't exactly tell you who you are, it just tells you how you function. But through that, if you're close to God, he can speak your identity to you through it. It's really helpful in understanding yourself and uh, getting along better with others. The profile showed me that my main language of operating is a, a mover. And movers are very passionate people. They learn by doing. They're more likely to give things a go than other people that won't. They say in a group, they probably won't say it literally though, if you're not going to lead, then get out of my way and I will. They have the highest percentage of entrepreneurs through society. They, have, they can be very persuasive people. They're instinctive, very bold, and generally move or act before thinking, which can be good or can be bad. And they can call themselves into action within a moment. Before, before I went to school, I found myself cry, crying in movies over movie, mover movie scenes. I didn't know they were mover movie scenes at the time, but scenes where in an instant somebody would spring to life and they would do something really dramatic that would save the day. And I didn't know why. Then uh, at school... Uh, the lady teaching on life language, she, got, she prayed over every, every life language. If you were first or second language, she got you to stand up uh, when she was teaching about each language individually. And so the first one was mover, and she, there was only two people in the room, two or three people that st stood up, only 8% of society uh, first, first language movers. And she prayed for us, honoured us, and it was, it was really moving. Then we went to morning tea break. And Michelle and I, we're walking along the corridor. She's walking along beside me next to the wall. And we're walking along. And she's looking at me. We're chatting. And then all of a sudden, this door opens right in front of Michelle. And if I'm going to say, stop, she's just going to plant herself head first into that, into that door. So what I did instead was I'm like, I just knew it. I just knew this was the only way I could stop her smash, smacking her face was I just grabbed her, just like in an instant, just grabbed her and she, she completely froze, she stopped, she, she turned forward and the door was literally this far in front of her face and I felt like it was just God saying, see, you're a mover. <laughs> it spoke to my identity because I believe that's uh, part of my future. Michelle, though, she's quite the opposite. Her main language is a contemplator, which is, they are usually researchers. They're usually really, really good teachers, and very, really analytical. They like to work out all their options, though, before they make decisions. And they're generally very slow to make decisions. The average contemplator it takes them until the age of 41 to feel like they've found their, um, their career pathway in life or what they want to do with their life. That's normal and it's okay. They do enjoy being around people, but then they also like a lot of time to themselves to think and research and to analyse and to work out what to do. 
they're, one of their biggest problems though, is analyst paralysis, where they just think too much and they don't do, whereas the mover, they, they sometimes don't think enough and they just do it. <laughs> so we're quite opposite in that regard. God knows, that, knows just how perfect we are for each other and how much we balance each other out. Uh, life languages re- have really helped Michelle and I to understand and get to know each other. It's been really good for our marriage and also just normal living. So another teaching that we had was uh, boundaries. And Alan, the head of school, he teaches on boundaries. He uses hula hoops to teach on boundaries. And it's a visual display of how within a hula hoop, if you put it around you, it's all your world. And what's, whatever's in that hula hoop is yours. So uh, that's your decisions, that's your emotions, that's your body. And the point of boundaries is, is that sometimes people like to crash in and it depends usually on how you grew up. If you grew, come from a dysfunctional family, people probably crash in all the time. You probably crash into others. Or if you grew up in a good, stable family, you're probably a little bit more respectful of people. And... Uh, across society, we're, we're just a mixed bag. Every, just a mixed bag. So in church, this is quite relevant to church because we're living together, we're trying to do life together, we're trying to do family together and to get along. And so to try to, to, try to, um, to show you all what, a little bit further what this is about, uh, just say Andrew's feeling sad. It's not my job to make him feel happier, although Andrew can invite me in and I can give comfort, I can pray for him, I can help lift him up. But it's Andrew's, it's Andrew's responsibility to invite me in, it's not mine. So uh, there can be a little bit of a grey area because of relationship and what you've established in relationship. You've already come to a place where, where you've given close friends permission to speak into your life and they can just go right ahead and do it. But this is really great for people to understand with people that you've never met before or... You don't know where they, how they feel. And one of the problems, one of the reasons um, this is so important is a lot of people, some people either don't know how to say no, people walk right in and they just take advantage of them and for their own gain, or some people never let people in and then they just live life by themselves, huddled in their own little world and they never share life because they're too guarded, their boundaries are too strong. Uh, so, for me, why this is really significant was because before I came to school, God taught, brought me to a place to no longer try to control people, that everybody has free will, and that's how God treats us, so that's how I should treat other people, and suggest things more than um, expect, just because I think you should do this, you should do this. So one of the, the things Alan said was that just really stuck with me for a long time and really challenged me was unsolicited advice is a, a boundary violation. And it's, that's typically how I'd live my life. I'd just share my opinion. I'd share my suggestions. No matter what. If someone, if you, I felt if you were sharing your story with me that I had a right to tell you what I thought. And... Sometimes you can, you can hurt people, which, which is what I did at times. So this prompted me to go on a three-week fast 
from sharing my opinions and my suggestions with people because it was uh, something I always did. And what I found at the end of it, it, it taught me self-control because like I had a friend in my small group, he had, he had a, his daughter had a dream and the dream said, in her dream, sh her, her parents were unequally yoked. And I wanted to tell them that was from the pit of hell, but I held my tongue <laughs> because I was fasting. And when I got to the end of the fast, I come to a, a better place where I had uh, a lot more self-control. And I also learned that there's a better standard for living than just smacking people over the head with your opinion to actually ask. It's quite simple. Would you like my thoughts? Can I, can I share what I think? Or, and if they say no, that's okay. And they have a right to say no. He, one of the things Alan taught us was to you say no so that you can learn to say yes. When I was in high school, not high school, university, I said yes to everyone all the time and pretty quickly you'd get double booked, you'd, get, you'd drain yourself out and so Alan taught us that you say no so that you can say yes, one, so that you're, you can learn to rest and two, so that your yes is truly your yes rather than just be coming from a place of brokenness and wanting to please people all the time. It's a, it's a powerful yes and it means more to the people. It means more. So that's quite significant for me. Another topic, healing life hurts, or inner healing. It's, it's very significant. It's one of my passions, inner healing. Uh, we we learn on ungodly beliefs or lies we believe about ourselves or God. I ended up writing a sermon about this for school. We had ministry from rejection, ministry for sins of the forefathers, Ministry to the stony heart or walled up, guarded heart. When someone has been through trauma, one of the coping strategies is to, to build up the fences and guard your heart. And the problem with that is they also build up a guard to God. And God wants to slowly bring down those walls so that he can come in and bring life and healing. We had ministry from, from inner vows and judgments and the power and defilement of them. In Romans 2.1, it says, those who pass judgment condemn themselves and practice the same things. This week in school, it was, it was quite significant for me. God brought up a situation where I wasn't listening to my, um, my daughter in a conflict situation. I wanted to, her to be in trouble. She did the wrong thing, but I wouldn't listen to her. And he brought back a memory of how when I was younger, growing up, about 10 or 11, I was in a conflict situation and I got in trouble with my parents and I wasn't being listened to or heard and I felt like it was unfair. I can remember going outside and I vowed before God, I would never not listen to my children ever. I'm always going to listen to them. But in that moment, I didn't realise, I actually made a judgement against my parents. And... Then I found myself doing the same thing to my daughter. So I confessed it, repented, renounced it, separated myself from the power of the judgment. I forgave my parents, I forgave myself. And since then, my ability to listen to my children has dramatically increased. Later, later in the year, we had uh, the revived teaching, which is the personal ministry. It was, uh, it was really awesome. They had a live ministry, which we all got to watch, which was very cool. 
because I have experience of inner healing. I really loved it. I was like a little kid in a candy shop because not only did they talk about the inner healing that I know already, but they also talked about other techniques. So I was like, like just, 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 <laughs> I just was so excited. <laughs> and, uh, and then a couple of weeks after that, I found myself in a situation where I had to, to do some inner healing on myself. We were doing a Christmas play, getting ready to do a Christmas play, and we were taking the mickey out of our life languages and our own life languages. So we were taking the mickey out of, I was taking the mickey out of a movie, just a little bit, and um, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I just, I just, just messed me up emotionally. Like, I'm just like, we can't do this. This is wrong. Like, and so I was nearly going to go and speak to my small group leader and say, I can't do this play. But um, this is a secret within a healing. Whenever you're going through something in life that's really, really hard, that's really, really emotional and probably not the normal response of, of any human, the secret's not to push it down. We won't want to because it's really, really uncomfortable. The best thing to do is to ask why with, with the Father. Why? Why? He knows about it. It doesn't matter with, just because you're experiencing it. It may feel like sin and they may be part of the reason. I shouldn't feel like, I shouldn't feel like this. This is wrong. I, don't, I can't live life like this. I just want to distract myself. I just want to get beyond. That's not, that's, if you want healing, that's not the way to go. Why? Why? Come to God. Why? Why? So I went for this a walk with the Trinity. And I said, why am I feeling like this? Why, why can't I do this play? And a memory came up, which I had completely forgotten about from when I was in year nine. I was doing an automotive class and the teacher, it, this is not his fault at all, he was trying to encourage students to get out there and learn how to use the engines and he said something along the lines of kids that, kids that won't get out there and have a go, they're just drop kicks, you know, they're just wasting my time, they shouldn't be in my class. And it wasn't just talking to me, he was talking to other kids that, would, that wouldn't go out there and have a go. And he's trying to encourage them. And my friends wouldn't go out there because uh, they're a bit nerdy, a bit geeky. And I didn't want to go out there because the guys that were out there were really rough dudes. And I was afraid I'd get my, my head kicked in. For one, I, didn't, I, I needed protection with my friends. And two, the teacher wasn't out there guiding me. And... Like I said before, I'm not very good with cars, not very good with engines. And so I didn't want people to make fun of me because I had no idea what I was doing. But that was a big wound to the mover because the mover is supposed to be able to do that. That's who the mover is. The mover just says, I'm going to have a go. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to have a go. But I couldn't do it because of fears. So I asked Jesus, I said, what would you like to say to me? And in my, in my head, I saw him in the memory, over at the engines, motion me, come on, come over, it's okay, I'll show you, you can do this, you can do this son, it's okay, don't have to worry about those guys, you got this, and I can picture myself getting up the guts in my memory, you can make yourself, it's not real memory obviously, but I, I can picture myself going over there and learning, and then the next week we went to practice for our play, and guess what? The fear, the emotions, the, the pain, gone. Completely gone. 
It's very cool. Inner healing is one of, if you want, if you want to experience the best of God, like, like we've had teaching series on recently, this is one of the pathways. It's our brokenness. It's our pain that stops us from saying yes to God. So this is, I believe this is going to be part of our future. We're going to walk into, as a community, greater measures of inner healing. So, so another story, uh, Michelle went to do the pr- prophetic week. We were both there in class and then one of the administrators comes to us and says, um, you've got to take Zoe to the doctors. She had some spots on her that were concerned. She had a hand, foot in mouth. And so I said, well, Mich- Michelle, the pro- prophecy is your passion. You can, you can do this and I'll take her to the doctors. As I'm driving in the car... I can feel a little bit of frustration building up because I feel like this is an attack from the enemy just to get us out of class. And I th- so I think it's spiritual warfare and they don't even want to pray. They haven't even prayed. The leadership hasn't prayed. <laughs> the doctors, they're, just, they're probably going to protect themselves, be conservative and just say, you can't come back to school. Give me a certificate. You can't come back until it's cleared up because they've got to protect themselves. Like, so why do I have to go and pay for that? We can just, when, when it's cleared up, we can just come back. But I made a decision. So this was really cool for me because straight away I'm putting into practice the things I'd been learning. I said, I'm going to honor my leadership. It's going to be okay. I'm going to be happy. I'm not going to be frustrated with them. I'm not going to make a judgment. I said, I'm going to trust God. No matter how much this is, this is not going to steal my joy. This is going to be okay. I'm going to trust God. It's okay. God's got this. After hearing the Father Heart teaching, I'm going to trust God. Anyway, it was $300 later for the consult and for a few medicines. And he gave me a certificate when, a, when one of the spots on her face cleared up. Allowed, I was allowed to come back. But the whole time, I was happy because I chose. I wasn't going to let this situation in life get the better of me. So it was really cool for me. So Mi- Michelle missed... Uh, supernatural evangelism because Zoe was sick. The kids had all been sick for around a month, uh, vomiting at night. And what would happen is they'd go to bed, would pray. They seemed to get better. And then a day or two later, someone else would get sick. But with Zoe, it was the worst. So we'd pray, she'd get better. Then she'd get sick again. And Michelle remembered a story that surprised her. You might remember, he's from the Holy Ghost. Maybe he came and visited and spoke at the school in a conference and Surprises shared a story with um, him and Heidi Baker. They were praying for people with cholera one day. They were in this tent because they segregate them off from the rest of society. And they were praying for them and they'll get healed and then they'll get sick again. And Heidi has this revelation. Go and get clean water. Go and get new water, different wa- water from, from another water so- source. And they pray again. They get healed and then they didn't get sick again. So Michelle's remembering this. And so in the end, I went out and bought a new cot and she, Zoe didn't get sick again. So we were cleaning it every time with sprays and stuff and chemicals and, and then she'd just get, she'd get re-sick a couple of days later anyway. But she, Zoe had been sick and so Michelle couldn't come. So I, I did the uh, supernatural evangelism. And our teacher was Danielle Halson. The same Danielle mentioned before who came in March. And... Her, t- uh, her method of treasure hunt really impressed me. I've seen a fair bit of treasure hunt for a while and I've had a few, few, a few concerns with them. 
but she teaches it in a completely different way. One of the reasons is we always hear these really cool stories and they're awesome and they're great and they're designed to motivate us to get out there and pray. But the problem is that, that a lot of people experience is they hear this really cool story of how this gangster got saved or whatever and then that becomes the bar for their expectation. Unless they're really free and they walk in a lot of grace for themselves, they go out there and the majority of people that, that I've seen, don't, they don't have that, that same experience first up. It might, it, a lot of people, it takes a little bit of time before they have a really cool God story where they um, did something simple and it really changed somebody's life. And so because of the bar is so high, sometimes people can think maybe they're not good enough or they don't have what it takes. And that's not the truth at all. So Danielle, she had a definition of success that went like this, just doing the next thing that challenges you, whether it's to go up to, say, to someone and say, God bless you, whether it's to go up to somebody and prophesy, whether it's to go up to somebody to pray for healing, whatever it is, that next thing that you find challenging, work on that, focus on that. Don't raise the bar up so high that you've got to get the world saved today. Just do the next thing. And it starts people on a journey. So she's actually created a, uh, a ministry and it's a blog. I'll see if I can click on it here. I've got my phone on wireless. And it's called Cultivate Boldness, and it's all, all about design to make people bold. Is, it's coming up on my screen, but not up there. I don't know why that is. It's, what, it's just cultivateboldness.com. There's a blog on there, and they have lots of stories. And regularly they go out to places and... They just follow God. They just pray in the morning and then they go wherever God sees and they've had some amazing stories and those stories are great and they're good. They're really good. It's just God showing up. But God is just as much in those big stories as he is in the little ones. And sometimes you have no idea how just a little word can do. Blake got a little word in that story and it completely changed his life to get him back to using his gift for God. In that book I read out earlier. I'll just, I'll just get out of that. So I got to lead a, um, a treasure hunt group on our mission trip, which was really fun. So Michelle got honoured for her teaching and her prophesying. I got honoured for my boldness. People were really impressed and inspired and encouraged by my boldness, which was really cool. For the first time at school, I actually went out to somebody in the street and prophesied over them. The, my prophecies tend to be a little bit smaller than, than a lot of people's though. But that's okay. I keep on wanting to push God for more, to hear more, to say more. Treasure hunt's just a tool. And what it is, is we ask God uh, for clues and we try to go out and find that person. So you might ask God for the name, Location, appearance, an ailment, something unusual. And then you go out and try to find that person, hopefully have a God conversation or pray for them or, or prophesy over them, something, which is what supernatural evangelism is, which is any form of su supernatural evangelism, as it says. So I was, I was going to share one of my stories, but 
but time's moving on and I've still got a fair bit to get through. So once a, mo- once a month, the young adults, they have a uh, ministry called Friday Night Lights, which is Treasure Hunt. We get together, you pr- we um, have a small teaching for around 15 minutes. We uh, pray for five or so minutes, then we go out for an hour. Once we split up into groups of two or three, and then we come back and we share our stories. And I got to take the three oldest kids out individually, which was really cool. And they all got to see me uh, pray or prophesy over somebody. Abigail prayed over somebody. It's really cool. It's really um, it's good for their development. It, the th- things of God are so normal, and uh, we just want our kids to grow up in the atmosphere, to just know that they have the ability to perform miracles with Jesus just as much as an adult does. And I was really inspired. People think oh, I'm bold. I was really inspired by, by Danielle. We were out at our Friday Night Lights. This one day we were sitting at the debrief table waiting for everybody to come back. And Danielle goes, oh, I feel like some Chick-fil-A. So she walks over the room about 50 metres in the food court and on the way back, all I can see is she's sitting down at this table with three African-American blokes and they're about 25 to 30 and she's avidly engaged them in conversation. We don't know what's happening, I can't see it, but I'm fully impressed because I thought I was bold and I just thought, wow, that's, a, that's, a diff- that's another level of boldness I haven't seen before. Like, how crazy is that? Three African-American dudes, no idea if they're saved or not saved. And she's, she's got them engaged in a conversation, and we know she's probably talking about God. Then she comes back and she shares the story. And she prophesies for two to three minutes over the first guy. And he's like, how did you know that? And she's like, hold that thought. She prophesies for two to three minutes over the next guy. And she's... And he's like, sister, how did you know that? And he, she's like, hold that thought. She does the same thing to the last guy. And they're like, how do you know this? And we know they're accurate because they gave the feedback of how accurate the prophetic words were. And then she says, well, the same, Bible that, the same God in the Bible who spoke to people also still speaks to people today. And he told me all this about stuff about you, so I'd come over and tell you how much he loves you. And, and they get up and walk away. And I don't know what happened next with those guys or not. But um, I was just fully impressed by, by that, that level of boldness. And I was so inspired. I want to champion Treasure Hunt here in Ballarat. And uh, I've set a date in place, the 6th of August. It's not, I don't think it's in the logos yet. 3 p.m. at the food court in Windery Village. So anybody who wants to join me, you can come. It doesn't matter if it's lots of people or small. We'll do the same, same program because it's easy for a, for a father who doesn't have much time. Just come, small teaching. I'll teach you how to hear God's voice. We'll pray. We'll go out, come back, have a chat. Two hours, two hours of my time, perfect. You know, I, I was also inspired by Ben. I was at the All in Worship service uh, a couple of weeks back, and Ben goes, says something about you, c- you can't call yourself a, a, what is it, a songwriter if you're not writing songs intentionally putting aside wrongs. I can't call myself an evangelist if I'm not out there evangelizing. So mo- most of the time when we weren't at school, we were doing uh, our, our homework. We had journal exercises. We were also homeschooling our two oldest. 
we uh, served in the church in their in their ministry. We were both both on rotations and got to uh, work in the prophetic ministry and have a, pu- a ministry called Papa's Pantry, which is uh, handy, just free just free food for for people who don't have much money, which we went to every week nearly. Uh, we we also visited the the. Nashville libraries. We think the libraries in America, the ones we saw, step up from the ones we have here in Australia. Lots to do in th- uh, for the ki- the children. We uh, went for lots of walks around a lake, a lake called Lake Radna. We got invited to uh, Thanksgiving with a lovely family from one of my friends in the school. That was really fun. We also had Christmas with another group of people who I was connected with through some friends I have here that are connected to this group. And it just so happened they lived all around, around us. So that was really fun. We, uh, we didn't spend much of our own money doing activities and stuff, although we wanted to. And one day, Michelle had the thought on the way to school, it'd be great to take the kids to Nashville Zoo. And then that day, a lady came up and she gave us money. And she says, I think you should take the, uh, the not, don't spend this on, she said specifically, don't spend this on bills. Go, go do something fun with, with the kids. That's what I feel God wants this for. Maybe you could go to the Nashville Zoo. And so we went to the zoo. That was good. We also got to go to, to Disneyland on the way home uh, for the kids because Michelle's mum offered, uh, well, she, she loaned us some money so that we would go. We could take the kids and they loved it. God just was so kind and he just, like, whenever there was a need, he just came through. So, oh, too far. So, that's uh, Lake Radna. Lake Radna is a man-made lake in the middle of some woods. We saw lots of animals there, including deer, bush turkey, squirrels, chickamunks, injured birds in their aviary they have there. Uh, we even saw a green snake in the middle of the path and some tortoise, lots of tortoises Oh, too fast. We had uh, Sarah Jackson. She's one of the teachers from Toronto at Catch the Fire School, their supernatural school. She came and she taught on dream interpretation. God spoke lots in the Bible through dreams, and he still speaks to us today through dreams. One of the cool things is Michelle's had lots and lots of dreams about flying most of her life and she loves it. She's like, it just brings her alive. And we found out in this class that flying in the spirit represents the prophetic. Where opposed to me, I've had much more dreams about uh, being in water and also investment properties. And water speaks of in the spiritual realm, usually uh, being in the spirit. Well, sorry, I'll just stop that up. And houses usually speak of our identity. But in this case, it's an investment property, which would be the identity of somebody else, which would be about speaking identity into somebody because it's the house somebody else lives in, which would be probably be in a healing. It was such a f- fun class. If you want to hear from God more in your dreams, this is what they told us to do. Get a journal, put it beside your bed and a pen. And the more that you do that and write down the God dream that you have when you have a God dream, you'll find, and everybody found this, that their frequency of God dreams increased. 
they can be really fun to try to work out though because God speaks in riddles all the time and he loves it. <laughs> Some of the other guest speakers that came was Dan Farley from Bethel. He came and spoke on uh, brave communication, which is sort of similar to boundaries, but it's the, the stage before you say that's too far. It's the communication stage that was really, uh, really helpful. Some people if you grow up knowing how to to talk in conflict situations really well and some people don't. And so he taught a lot of simple things that, um, which are really quite profound in, uh, in navigating your way through conflict. We had Chris Dupree, he's a songwriter, Bible teacher and worship leader. He's also an ex-pastor from Grace Centre. He came and spoke on worship. We had David Wagner come. He's a, an amazing prophet. He gave everybody in the school prophetic words, and he's, he's done that every year for the last few years. He gave me this, this crazy word. He doesn't, he doesn't know when he was prophesying over me that I'm Australian. And he says, and it's, it's really weird to him because he's not expecting it, um, I see you in the Northern Territories of Australia ministering to Aboriginals. <laughs> and uh, he didn't know I was Australian, which was really cool. And then we also had uh, our friends that don't live very far away. They came up on the screen before. Yes, Gary and Sarah Morgan. That was really fun seeing them come. Gary's prophetic words were off the charts. He even got a, um, a lady's phone number in school. And she had a dream the week before that Gary had her number and was going to call her back, which, which made it even more cooler. Uh, On the second day of their teaching, I woke up in the morning and I, I just was flowing up out of my spirit the lines of a song. I don't know what it's called, but it goes, Come on and write your story on my heart. And I just kept singing that over and over again. And I thought that meant, oh, Gary's going to prophesy over me today. And he, in the, uh, the middle session of the day, he uses a PowerPoint. And this is the only time he used a PowerPoint. And it was on... Finding your joy story. <laughs> so I felt like God was speaking to me loud and clear. It was very fun. Oh, it was also very cool. I got to see them, Gary and Sarah minister together in a level I'd never seen them minister in, in, the, in the Holy Ghost. It was so fun. So many people were getting slain in the spirit. It was very cool. They just came with so much power. So we also had Steve Long come from Toronto also and to teach on physical healing. He can create a good argument to why it's God's will that everyone be healed everywhere all the time. I was nearly going to speak on that today, but I decided to go with the Father Heart of God because it's more me. It's uh, more about inner healing rather than physical healing. Physical healing is great. Steve taught us this prayer. He doesn't call it a prayer that goes like this, my healing belongs to me because of what Jesus has done. I receive my healing now. And he says, that's all you need to know about healing. The, the uh, theology of that, of the Bible, is capsulated in there that right now God wants everybody healed all the time. He did talk about uh, lots of reasons and lots of lies why the Christians believe that hold the healing of God back. And... For school, we, we uh, had to 
go out and find somebody to pray this prayer with. Steve, Steve doesn't call it a prayer because he doesn't want to turn people off out in the community. So what, what he does, he goes up to people and he says, do you have any pain? If they say yes, he says, would you like the pain gone? If they say yes, he says, well, repeat this after me. And then he starts off with, my healing belongs to me. And so many people who say this get healed. And it's easier for people out in the community to get healed. More people get healed out there than they do in the church. And so that was part of our, uh, our homework. I went up to three people and they all refused to let me take them through the, the prayer. And then the next week we come back to school. Everybody's sharing their testimonies. People are getting healed. It's awesome. And then that evening we went to Sonic. Sonic's a fast food restaurant where you pull up and park and then you speak into the microphone and then people bring out your food. Sometimes they come out in skates. And this, this girl comes out and as soon as I see her, I just know God wants me to take her through the prayer. And so I ask her when she comes up, I said, do you have any pain in your body? And she says, yes, and shock. I was completely shocked because she's like 16, I thought. She, she's going to be well, you know, she's not, good. she's not sick, young people aren't sick. And she said, yeah, my, my back, it just hurts all the time. So I said, I, said, I explained to her how we're doing a, um, a mini, we're going to a ministry school and we've learnt this, um, this thing to say, people say it and people have been getting healed, would you like to say it? And she says, yes. So I take her through the prayer and, she, and she, I'm like, check it, because that's something Steve says, after three seconds, get them to check it. And so she checks herself and she's like, oh, it's half better. It's half better. And so I'm, I'm not satisfied with that. So I say, all right, let's do it again. So we do it again. I take her through. My healing belongs to me because of what Jesus has done. And she's completely healed and she's over the moon. <laughs> it was so cool. And what made it even better was the kids were in the car watching it all, which was so cool. So I'm about to get into my teaching, but before I do, I wanted to honour somebody. I want to honour Alan Berryman. After I had the thought, I remembered that Scott did the same thing. He honoured Alan Berryman. So I'm not being a copycat. I think God wants to give Alan double honour. So this is how we honoured in school. I'm not going to explain it or teach it. I'm just going to do it and you can all watch. Do you mind if I take your hand, Alan? So Alan, I want to honour you because of how throughout your illness, how steadfast that you've remained in God. I also want to honour you because of despite everything that's happened in your family, you still call yourself a son. And God wants to honour you for that. He loves you. He thinks that's awesome. So that's Alan and AJ, they're the heads of school. I also want to honour AJ because she taught us about the father heart. She has an incredible story of God fathering her uh, after her dad committed suicide and her first husband cheated on her with numerous women. And then she went on to write the book which we did for school which is called Finding Father. We had to journal in it and then soak after it five times a week. So we all start off with earthly fathers and depending on how they treat us or didn't treat us, it dramatically affects the way we see God as father. 
the best real life examples that we can find of Father God is all the good dads. You can look around the room and look to all the good dads. Although we still don't give God justice for just how good he is compared to us. He's just so good. You can begin to see what Papa's like. It's a good starting point. The best picture of Father God would have to though be have to though be the dad in the prodigal son story so we're going to go there in a minute father god is really quite simple to understand with our heads but this is something that roots really got to be caught daddy is just the best dad that's who he is he's so kind and full of affection and when he's firm with us it's always for our good and for our gain and that's usually pretty rare anyway the challenge is, though, to get that from our heads to our hearts so that we can live out of it. And the more we have this revelation that Daddy loves us and Daddy cares for us, the more we experience Him in life, just being the best dad in the world. So we'll turn to Scripture. In John seventeen twenty three, it reads, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I want to point out the word love here that's used is the same word, the Greek word for agape. You've got to realize that the love that God has for Jesus is the same love he has for you. Think about that for a second. This is Jesus in the Trinity. They love each other perfectly. They're like it. They're so close. Put yourself right beside him. That's how he feels about you. He loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. There are many verses in the Bible about love throughout the whole Bible, in the New Testament and the Old. This is in Jeremiah. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. In Psalm 34:18, it reads, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Why is this? Is this because he loves us? If you're doing it tough, God wants to lift you up. He loves you so much. He just wants to get near. He wants to, he wants to come close. He wants to heal everything. In 1992, at the Barcelona Olympic Games, world champion Derek Redmond, champion of the 400 metres running race, he was favoured to win the gold medal. I'm going to play a clip from, from that event. It's a little bit grainy because back in 92, the technology wasn't as good. Let's watch this.
this story a couple of years ago before I went to school I was in the car on the way home from work and I literally just broke down and started crying like a baby with the words of the father running through the crowd pushing past the security guards my heart received the words that nothing nothing was going to hold the father from coming to me this picture starts to catch the intensity of how much God loves you So we can now turn to the prodigal son. If you've got your Bibles, you're you're welcome to turn there too. This is Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. It's important to note that the person who's giving this story is Jesus. Some people consider him as the third son in the story. And the reason why that's important is because there's nobody else that knows the Father better than Jesus. This This is the best picture that we have of the Father God. So in verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So this, his father agreed and divided his wealth between his sons. In the Jewish day, this was like saying to your dad, I want you dead. A few days later, his younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land and there he wasted all his money on wild living. Moving to a 
another land. That's another slap in the face for the, the father because the Jews didn't associate themselves with other nations. They were considered dirty. In 14, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So it's a pretty dismal situation for him, isn't it? He's just rejected his, his father with pr- pretty much the biggest insults that he c- can give. It's a famine through the land. He's got no money now and he's uh, working with the pigs. It's not very good for a Jewish boy either. The, the Jews, they didn't like um, pigs very much. They weren't allowed to eat them. So. And they were pretty, they're pretty messy physically. Uh, you can imagine he would have been quite dirty and emotionally really down. And then at this place, in 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. Let's just stop there for a second. I want to point out, even a servant in the kingdom of God has enough, more than enough, but we're all, we're all sons and daughters, and there's more. There's more. Do you know why there's more? Because we have an inheritance. The servants don't get that. We're sons, we're daughters. In 18, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired hand. I think, you would, I think this would be a hugely genuine, a hugely genuine feeling of the son after everything he'd done, the way he'd lived his life, after how he treated his father. He would, he'd be feeling worthless. In 20, so he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Why did his father see him coming? His father was probably missing his son and he was working in the field. He was out in the deck. He was constantly looking. He was constantly looking. I miss my son. I miss my son. And he was waiting. And then it reads, Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. I also heard this in the car on the radio and then they said it again in school. The men in the Jewish day, they didn't run. Men didn't run. Kids did. Men didn't. When I heard this in the car, it just, it just melted me too. It was considered indignant for men to run in public. Possibly because they had dresses on. But this is what I received when I heard that. The father is saying, I don't care what anybody thinks or what is culturally not acceptable. My son means more to me than that. I'm going for him and nothing's going to stop me. I'm going. 
I can't wait to embrace him. And you know what? This is true for us. As soon as we turn our hearts towards him, he runs. He runs. The only thing that can hold us back from the Father is ourself. No, nothing else. We just have to turn to him. So let's continue reading. He ran to his son, embraced him, and the, the literal meaning of the word was fell on his neck, and he kissed him. This is a son that just treated him like, like doggy doo-doo. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. So often we feel when we stuff up that we have a debt to pay with God. But the truth is, he just wants us back with no strings attached. There's nothing in between us and him. Nothing. There may be consequences of our actions. That's different. That doesn't stop us cuddling him. It doesn't stop us hanging out, laughing. It doesn't stop us being receiving healing. 22. But his father said to the servant, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring from his, for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. We've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. So every question the son had in his heart, the father answered with an action. Go get the best robe and put it on him. Who do you think the best robe belonged to? It's probably the father. So he places his robe on us and says, I'm going to cover your shame. No one's going to know where you've come from. You're going to walk up to the house and they're going to see those ratty clothes you've been in because you've been working in the the filthy pig pen. He puts a ring on his finger. Having the, the family ring in those days is like having the visa card. You'd go to a shop and you'd say, I want to buy this, I want to buy that, and then you'd seal it with the family ring, and that meant your dad was going to pay the bill. Giving the son the ring... It's like saying, you stuffed up financially, son, but guess what? I'm giving you another go. I love you so much. I believe in you. I'm going to give you every chance to succeed. And then he places sandals on his feet. Only servants went around in those days barefoot. Sons and daughters wore sandals. He's saying, you really are my son. Here's my robe. Here's my ring and here's my sandals. Here's some sandals. The father has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And he's saying the same thing to us. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I've given everything for you to spend the rest of our days together. So I'm going to share just a couple of stories of how uh, this journey's uh, what, what it's done for me. Before I went to school, I had a pretty good revelation of the father heart. 
It was pretty good. I can remember um, Mel doing her message and she had that chair, that royal chair there, and everyone come up or that wanted to and they sat on, sat on it. I can remember standing back in the auditorium looking at that chair and I saw Daddy sitting in it and I was on his lap and we were laughing. I was chillaxing. We are having a good time. That's the place I was at with the Father's Hat. Pretty good. Interestingly also, I, uh, I did a teaching session for eight weeks before. This is a John Aldridge series on being fathered by God. And uh, interestingly, if you're interested in sowing and reaping, by far the biggest gain I got out of school would have to be a deeper revelation of the Father's heart. And I sowed it before. I'm not the biggest fan of the sowing and reaping. It's, it's, a, it's a spiritual reality, but it's not my focus. I don't do to get... I do because I'm generous like Christ because my heart's been changed. But it's a reality and, and it's, it's very interesting all the same. So, so before we went to school, we had plenty of money in the bank. Plenty of money. It took a long time to sell our house. But I was stressing out to the max because we had to sell our house to get to America. And... Uh, things weren't looking going looking well, and then God turned it all around. And we we in one weekend we found we sold a, we found a buyer. We sold our house, and then God set us up in a house by the next Monday. That we didn't even have to uh, put in a rental application because our long lost friends we hadn't seen in a long time. But the point there is, I was stressing out. Uh, I come to church and I cry out to, to cry out to God, change this, change this, change this. Go to school, we get this teaching. We're at school, and a few months in, work decides to stop paying me. They don't think I'm entitled to long service leave, and our money starts to dry up. And I go to the union. In the end, they didn't have to do anything for me because God just turned it all around. I sent a few few emails to to work saying that you agreed to pay me this. You need to pay me this, and took about a, it took about a month to clear up. But our bank balance got down to around a hundred dollars. This is U.S. Australia, and we didn't have enough money to buy groceries. And we felt God saying to take the kids to Chick Fil A. They had to have a kids' night on Tuesdays, so we did. With not much money, we went. And I ended up meeting this guy from another church in Franklin, which is really close to Nashville. And he's, he's inspired because he's met somebody else who's really passionate with their faith, who's, who's travelled overseas to learn more about God. I don't tell him our financial situation at all. We say our goodbyes. It's, it's nice meeting him. He invites me to his church. And I end up taking the kids to the toilet. And on my way out, he walks up to me and he gives me $100. Right when we needed it, there was our grocery money. So it was really cool. If we didn't go to Chick-fil-A, God might have had to have provided another way. But the, thing, the, the, the important thing which I want to tell you is after receiving this teaching, I wasn't stressing. I come to a place of trust. I just knew God was going to work it out somehow. It was all right. I, I ended up maxing out our debt capacity twice. You pay off a bit of debt and then you can get some more. So I did that twice, same thing. I couldn't get any more money. Whenever we needed money, money came. Either it was a gift, maybe one of you guys thanks everybody who, who gave to us. Or um, 
I ended up getting a job too. I got a job near the end um, with a guy who just started a business in the time we were there. I was doing carpentry labouring and unskilled. I ended up getting a, a, around $1,500 for around seven days labour, which, really, which was a huge blessing. And his business wasn't even started when we came over to the States. Andrew, I'm just wondering, would you like to um, come and play the keys, if you want, please, quietly? This is, the, this is what I'm going to close with. Um, so another thing that happened is Michelle and I, we watched a, um, a movie about this pastor who, who died for 90 minutes. It's a true life story. He came back to life. And the whole movie is about uh, his recovery and when he gets out of hospital, his wife has to go work because he's no longer working. And um, the church community decides they're going to look after him. So they, put on, they, they have a roster and somebody comes in and they, they help him with his ADLs, with uh, you know, getting dressed and going to the toilet and feeding and you know, reading the newspaper, all those things, just normal life because he needs the help because he's, uh, he's being rehabilitated because he, he had a, uh, a massive car accident and he broke like n- nearly every bone in his body. I don't know if it's that bad, but uh, it's, a, it's a massive recovery. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, they're only doing that because he's a pastor. If that was just you or me, we're just a regular church member, the church wouldn't do that. No way. They're not going to do that. And... We go through school, go through the teaching. About a month before the end of school, we're just chatting with this lady. Out of the blue, she shares this story about how she has this knee operation and she's going to this small church, probably about the same size of of our community here. The pastor thinks, um, how are we going to help you? And she's like, oh, I've done up a roster. People just have to write their names down. And he's like, oh, I'm not sure if we're, we're going to fill it. There's a bit of doubt like me. And anyway, every spot got filled to take care of her, just like this pastor, except for two. And it worked out that those two times she didn't need help at all. It's the only two times she didn't need help through her healing recovery. It's amazing. I'm listening to this and going, wow, <laughs> God really does do this for us. And I don't have to be, I don't have to be a pastor. <laughs> he really does. He really does love me that much. So I repented of some of my old thoughts because what I was really saying with the pastor was not that because he's a pastor, was I, was I don't think God's going to do that for me. I hadn't come to that that place yet of that, it, that revelation in my heart that, that God loves me that much. And then, two weeks before the end of school now, the senior pastor, Jeff, of Grace Center is teaching. And he shares a story about he gets this bed quilt in the mail, new, new bed quilt. And then shortly after that, the people that sent it arrive at their door and they want to transform his bedroom. So they send him out of the house. They transform his bedroom. They spend around $10,000 just making the best of everything. Immaculate. He shares how 
God was challenging his old mindsets that he's not good enough, that he's not worthy, that he doesn't love him that much. The next year, similar thing happens. This time the same couple pair up with another couple. They transform their living room. They go away, they come back. They're just blown away by the transformation of their living room. Now we're up to the total, total spends over $100,000 of transformation. And you might think, what a waste of money. And God, God, God's economy is different to ours. He's got endless supply. Do you know what he just wants to say? I love you. And here's my proof. I'll do anything for you. Jeff says it was a massive challenge, a massive challenge to his old mindsets. He's not worthy. He's not good enough. And do you want to know what was happening in me while I'm hearing this story? I was over the moon. I was celebrating him. I was ecstatic. I was like, this is awesome. This is awesome. I love this picture of God. And you know why? Because I came to that place where I realized God was doing this, not because he was a pastor, but because he was a son. And he's priceless. You're priceless. I'm priceless. We're priceless to God. It doesn't matter how much money he has to spend. He wants you to know that you're priceless. He loves you so much. And I realized that that's how God thinks about me. So in a little bit, I'm going to invite the worship team back up. They can sing a song. But I want to, I want to throw out an invitation. Three challenges. If you don't know Father, if you, you don't know this loving Father, you've never had a relationship with Him, come down the front. If you want to surrender your life to Him, because you know that He's perfect and He's the best dad in the world and He's going to look after you and you can trust Him with your whole life, come down the front and we'll pray for you. If you want to grow, your revelation, your experience of the Father's heart towards you, I invite you to come down the front also. I said to a girl at checkout last week, she was looking down and I didn't know what to say and I was asking God for the words. And these are the words that come out right at the very end. The Father of all creation wants to show you kindness like you've never seen before. If you want to experience the kindness of God that He wants to show you, that He wants to show you, if you, if you haven't experienced it yet, in the front we'll pray for you yeah some outers here we can pray as well and the third call out if you want to come to the place where you want to be bold enough to go up to somebody and say the father loves you he's given everything for you to have a relationship with him and you feel like you can't and you want to come down the front we'll pray for you tell us what you want what you want prayer for and we'll pray and you can come if you want to Stocklands with me on August 6th. We'll do treasure hunt together. We'll share the Father's heart, the love of God. So, music team, come.